Turn with me in the Holy Scriptures tonight to the last chapter of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31. My text tonight is made up of the first two verses of the chapter. The Word of God at Proverbs 31, verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, we'll see tonight that it should be the words to King Lemuel, and that's the theme to tonight. I'm sure it's my mistake that the bulletin, the theme in the bulletin is not correct, but the words to King Lemuel. The prophecy that his mother taught him, what my son and what the son of my womb and what the son of my vows, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry, her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread 
of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. There ends our reading of God's holy word tonight. I call your attention to the opening verses. The words to King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What my son, and what the son of my womb, and what the son of my vows. The words of our text were directed to King Solomon by his mother Bathsheba. That is how we should read the first verse of the text. The words to King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. In Hebrew, the same preposition can be translated either as of or as to or unto. In many of the headings of the psalm, this preposition is found. They are not psalms to David, but they are psalms of David, psalms written by King David, like Psalm 23. In the text, however, that same preposition should be translated as to, the words to King Lemuel. That this is how we should read the opening line in the text is plain from the second part of verse 1. The prophecy that his mother taught him. The verse makes use of what we call Hebrew parallelism. That simply means that the first line in the verse expresses the same thing, essentially the same thing, as the second line. And that's the case with our text. The prophecy that his mother taught him is parallel to the words to or directed to King Lemuel. The text contains, now by the way, that same preposition is used later with that same meaning. Look at verse 3, give not thy strength unto women, nor thy ways to that which destroyeth kings. It's the same preposition. And in verse 6, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. King Lemuel's mother taught him these words. Who is Lemuel? Lemuel is Solomon. King Solomon 
who is the human writer of much of the book of Proverbs. Lemuel's mother is Bathsheba, the wife of David, formerly the wife of Uriah the Hittite. King Solomon is given three names in Holy Scripture. First, he is called Solomon by his parents. Second Kings chapter 12, verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. That name, Solomon, is derived from the familiar Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. Solomon is the king of peace. And in that, he compliments his father, David. David was the warrior king, the king used by God to defeat Israel's enemies. Solomon is the king of peace and prosperity, enjoying the benefits of the victories accomplished by King David. But Solomon was given a second name at the time of his birth. The last part of verse 25 informs us, and the Lord loved him, and verse 25 adds, and he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he, Nathan the prophet, called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. That second name, Jedidiah, means beloved of Jehovah. The J part, the first part of that name, referring to Jehovah. In a special way, Solomon was beloved of Jehovah. And in that respect, too, a glorious type of our Lord Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God. Now, in the text, Solomon is given a third name. He is called by his mother Bathsheba Lemuel, and that is a very significant name. For Lemuel means unto God, and there's that preposition again, unto God. Lemuel is unto God. His entire kingship, with all that he is, and everything that he is given, he is called to be unto God. And in that respect, all of our children are Lemuel's to be brought up 
unto God. I call your attention tonight to the words to Lemuel. The words to Lemuel. First of all, let's notice that they were spoken by his mother. Secondly, that they were uttered according to prophecy. And finally, that they were directed to God's glory. The words of the text and the application of the text is especially tonight to the mothers in the congregation. It is his mother that is speaking the words of the text. She says, What, my son, and what, the son of my womb, and what, the son of my vows? This does not mean, of course, that there's nothing in the text or in the sermon tonight for the fathers in the congregation. Nothing in the text or sermon tonight for the single members of the congregation or for grandfathers and grandmothers. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Nevertheless, primarily, the words of the text have application to the mothers in God's church, the mothers in Israel. First and foremost, the mothers of the young children in the congregation. But the text includes, besides the younger mothers, also the mothers of our young people, of our teenagers. This is not the first mention of the godly covenant mother in the book of Proverbs. There are a number of times in which she is mentioned in the book, right along with her husband. There are passages in which, by implication, she is included with her husband. There are other passages that call special attention to her. Passages that warn the children and the young people against despising the instruction, not only of their father, but also of their mother. Among those passages in the book of Proverbs is the eighth verse of the very first chapter, Proverbs 1, verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. In the preceding chapter, chapter 30 of the book of Proverbs, mention is made of the godly mother. Verse 11, there is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. And verse 17, the eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. Nevertheless, 
the words of our text are unique because they are not only about the godly mother, about her calling, and about her place in God's covenant, but they are words spoken by a godly mother, by Bathsheba. And that is unique. Unique from all of the rest of the book of Proverbs. For the book of Proverbs takes the perspective of a father speaking to his son, a father addressing his children, a father instructing his sons and his daughters. Even then, of course, the mother is included by implication. Nevertheless, the word is directed from a father to his son. That's the perspective of the book of Proverbs. And now stands out the words of our text, the words of the entire 31st chapter, because these are words spoken by a covenant mother. In a powerful way, the passage underscores the all-important role that godly mothers have in the church of Jesus Christ. It is true that in his family, the father is the head. He is the one who exercises ultimate authority. He is the one responsible, first of all, before God for the condition of his family, answerable to God for the spiritual condition of his home. That needs to be emphasized in our day. That needs to be emphasized in our day when the headship of a husband and father is rejected. A husband's headship in marriage, a father's headship in his home and in his family. Now, of course, there are exceptions. There are the exceptions that God himself makes. When God takes a husband and a father out of the family by way of death, leaving a mother to be the head of her family and of her children. There are also the exceptions that are the result of man's sinfulness, a husband's desertion of his wife, leaving her and the children to themselves, neglecting them, and leaving them usually for another lover. Or, 
the exception of the young woman who becomes pregnant out of wedlock. God gives grace, special grace to his people in those circumstances. But ordinarily, it is the will of God that husband and father serve as the head of marriage and of family. Nevertheless, this must never lead us to minimize the role, the calling that godly mothers have in our covenant families. They occupy a vital place. They carry out a role that a husband and father cannot, is not equipped by God to carry out. So much rests upon the shoulders of our covenant mothers in our homes and families. This ordinarily is the calling that God has for the women in his church. Once again, there are exceptions. There is the exception of the woman who does not marry, who lives all her life without a husband, given a special gift, by God, and usually a special place, too, in the church. There are others who marry, but to whom God does not give children. But ordinarily, as a rule, this is the will of God that the women of the church marry, marry in the Lord, and that they bring forth the seed of the covenant. That will of God is defied in our day. The will of God is not single mothers bringing up their children altogether apart from a husband and a father. The will of God is not a woman with her live-in boyfriend and their children together. The will of God is not two mothers But the will of God is a wife and mother who agrees spiritually with her husband, who is one with him from a spiritual point of view, who is at the same time a godly mother to their children. That 
is the will of God. Because of their all-important calling, covenant mothers must be at home with their children. Covenant mothers must make the bringing up of their children the focus of their life and of all their energy. Being with the children, especially when the children are young and growing up. The mother of the text, the mother of Proverbs 31, makes her home and her family the focus of everything that she does. Not her career, not her own advancement, not her business, not her own pleasure, but her family, and especially her children. Sacrificially, she denies herself. The world doesn't want anything to do with that, knows nothing of that. Sacrificially, denying herself for the sake of her family. She does that out of love for her children. Love of God that shows itself in her love for her children. That's the significance, especially, of verse 2 of the text. Those questions that she asks, rhetorical questions. What, my son, and what, the son of my womb, and what, the son of my vows? He is her son, her beloved son. Not only her son legally, but the son conceived in her own womb and brought forth by her. That underscores her love for her son. Doesn't mean that the love of an adoptive mother is anything less than the natural love of a mother for the children begotten out of her own womb and being not at all. We are all the adopted children of God, our Father, and His love for us could be no greater than that love is. An enduring love, a sacrificial love. Nonetheless, what she says here is intended to underscore the intensity of the love that she has 
for her son. Everything in verse 2 underscores and presupposes the love that she has for him. He is the son of her vows. That too. Notice that. That's last. It's the most important thing about her love. It underscores the love that she has for him. She's taken vows over him. Spoken vows. Vows that bind her with all that she is to her son. And willingly exposes herself to the judgment and wrath of God if she does not fulfill her vows. The vows spoken in the Old Testament by fathers and by mothers, particularly at the time of the circumcision of their children, were really no different than the vows that believing parents speak today. Strikingly, vows in the plural, not just vow in the singular. Vows underscores at least two things. First, it underscores the fact that this vow has several important dimensions. It is a vow to instruct godly instruction, the instruction that's contained in all the rest of the book of Proverbs. It includes her own godly example. She calls attention to her example as a godly wife and mother and vows in the plural because included also is her loving discipline of her son and of her sons and daughters. Loving discipline that aims at their correction when they sin. That especially. But the plural vows also underscores the fact that the vow that she spoke was a vow that she continually renewed and recommitted herself to. As believing parents do today, whenever another believing couple presents their child for baptism, we all renew our own vows over our children. Her vows were uttered 
according to prophecy. The words to King Lemuel, the text says, the prophecy that his mother taught him. The word for prophecy in the text is a very striking word. That word for prophecy is literally burden. That's what the text says. The words to King Lemuel, the burden that his mother taught him. Sometimes that word in the Old Testament refers literally to a burden. It's used in 2 Kings 5, verse 17, in connection with Naaman, the Syrian captain, who was healed by the prophet Elisha of his leprosy. Naaman requested two mules, burden of earth, to take back to Syria for erecting an altar to the true God. In Jeremiah 17, verse 21, the children of Judah are forbidden from carrying any burden on the Sabbath day. But that same word for burden is the word that's used throughout the Old Testament for prophecy. The Old Testament prophet came to God's people with a burden, a burden that had been placed on their shoulders, a burden that God himself had put upon them. And that burden, of course, was the burden of the Word of God. For that reason, the translation in our King James Bible is spot on. Prophecy, that is, the Word of God. The Word of God that his mother taught him. That's how we ought to understand prophecy in the text. Not narrowly. Not only as foretelling the future, but much more broadly as the entire Word of God. Because it's all God's Word. It's all prophecy. That's the perspective in the New Testament, in that classic passage on the inspiration of Holy Scripture. In 2 Peter 1, 19-21, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. He isn't talking there about prophecies narrowly, but he's talking about the whole word of God. It's all prophecy. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture, and again, he's talking about all of Scripture, nothing in Scripture is of any private 
interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's the standard. That must be the content of all the instruction that godly parents give to their children, particularly now the instruction of a God-fearing mother. Teach them. Teach them from their earliest days. Teach them when they're babes in your arms. Teach them when they're able to receive any amount of instruction. Teach them the Word of God. Teach them the Word of God. Yourself. In your own home. In all your interaction with the children. See to it that they are taught the Word of God in the Christian schools that they attend. See to it. Your responsibility too, as believing mothers, see to it that they are taught the Word of God in the true church of Jesus Christ to which you and your family belong. Holy Scripture, the prophecy of Holy Scripture, Scripture as the very Word of God, that must be what we teach our children. That must be the content of our instruction. That must be the power of the example that we set before the children, and that certainly must be what controls our loving discipline of them. The Word and the will of God. That's what this believing mother was concerned to impart to her son. One very important part of that instruction is admonition. That's the way it is with God and with His children. Ten Commandments. All of the admonitions and exhortations and warnings of the Word of God. What would be left of Holy Scripture if you took out all the admonitions? Not much. Admonition is a fundamental, a very important part of the instruction of our children. And the passage makes that plain. What follows? What follows immediately after our text? Admonition. Give not thy strength to women, nor thy wage 
Don't give your ways to that which destroyeth kings. Don't drink wine. That is not absolutely. But when you're carrying out your office as a king, don't drink strong drink. When you're executing your role as a prince and ruler among God's people, lest you drink and you forget God's law and you pervert the judgment of the afflicted and on and on. That belongs importantly to our calling as covenant parents. That belongs importantly to the calling of the mothers in the church. I ought to point out that verse 10 is included in the admonitions that this godly mother gives to her son. Verse 10 doesn't introduce a different subject as though now this godly mother is done and we're going to hear about the virtuous woman. She's still talking in verse 10. She is the one who's giving her son the instruction concerning a virtuous woman and his calling to marry a virtuous woman. That's the thing. That's what verses 10 to the end of the chapter amount to. Her calling to him, marry this kind of woman. Marry a God-fearing woman. Marry a woman to whom the covenant of God is dear. Marry a woman like your mother. And the mothers in the church ought to be able to say that to their sons. Mary Date and marry in the Lord. Lemuel must marry a woman who, like his mother, loves and fears God. And the purpose of it all, every aspect of the calling, of the godly mother, the calling of godly parents, the glory of God. The glory of God in the children. That's the purpose of that name. Lemuel. What does that name mean again? Unto God. That's the purpose of it all. That's the goal of all the instruction that this godly mother is concerned to give to her son. 
That's the power of her own example, imperfect though it is. That's the aim of her loving discipline, that her son, that her children will grow up to be young men and young women unto God. That's the reason on account of which she is willing to make all the sacrifices. That's the reason on account of which she's willing to expend herself. And that's the reason on account of which today believing couples are willing to pay all the Christian school tuition, consume all their time and energy in devotion to their children because of their earnest desire to see their children unto God, living unto God. What a joy that is. No earthly joy can be compared to this joy. The joy of seeing her children living unto God. That's not what we are by nature. None of us are Lemuels unto God. But what we are by nature is against God. The enemies of God. And now, there's nothing that any of us can do to change our children. To change our children from being God's enemies against God unto God. And so we are cast upon the grace of God, cast upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for those who were against God, so that we might be unto God. That's the only possibility. And so we must look away from ourselves tonight. And we must look to our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the one of whom Solomon was one of the great Old Testament types. We must cast ourselves upon him. In him there's forgiveness for us and forgiveness for the sins of our children. Our not being unto God as we ought. Our not seeking God but seeking ourselves. We cast ourselves upon him and upon 
our Savior Jesus Christ to do what none of us is able to do. We cannot make them, not even one of them, unto God. And so we are taught here to pray. To pray for the children and to pray with the children that God will work His work of grace in their hearts and lives so that they will be unto God. God answers those prayers on behalf of our children. Not in everyone, head for head, we know that. We know that by our own bitter experience that not all our children are unto God. But His promise is that from among our children, he will gather unto himself his children. Children who already now in this life are unto him. Children who one day, along with us, their parents and their grandparents, will be perfectly and eternally unto God. Amen. Father in heaven, bless thy word as we've heard it tonight. And be pleased, O God, to use the mothers in this congregation as well as believing parents together so that their children grow up. These children grow up to be unto thee. For Jesus' sake.